What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Before I start the show, I feel like there should be a warning. I'm reading public domain books and short stories and whatever else. Uh, Some of it may be offensive. I don't read these things before, so I don't review it, so it's kind of just by chance. So if anything in here is offensive, or most likely with these really old books, uh, bigoted, uh, don't hold me responsible. I'll be just as surprised as you are. And with that, enjoy this episode of Leaves of Glen. I am Glenn Nuzzles. Guys, I'm going to make this real, real quick. I just got done recording for the Book Boys podcast with my good friend Ben. And I thought, uh, maybe I'll uh, try to read something for Lees of Glenn since I'm sitting here podcasting. But then, a giant fly started flying around in my basement. And I can hear it. And it's huge. And it makes my skin crawl. So I want to get out of here. So instead of reading something, I decided to pull together... The two short stories that I read for the Cultured Bumpkin podcast from a nice man named J.C. Jacobson. It's a nice podcast by a nice person, reading nice stuff, classic literature and recommending poems and other things. Uh, He has guests on that read stuff, and uh, he does his own stuff, and so it's worth checking out. So go to iTunes or whatever podcast software you use and look up the Cultured Bumpkin and, and enjoy So these are two stories that I read uh, for them. Uh, The first story is called The Quarrel Between the Dogs and the Cats and Between the Cats and the Mice by Jean de la Fontaine. What I'm going to be reading is something I have never read before. I just saw the title and thought it looked funny. So I have no idea what we're getting into, but it is a prose fable by Jean de la Fontaine called The Quarrel Between the Dogs and the Cats and Between the Cats and the Mice. Discord has always reigned in the universe. Of this, our world furnishes a thousand different instances. For with us, The sinister goddess has many subjects. Let us begin with the four elements. Here, you may be astonished to observe that they are, throughout, in antagonism to each other. Besides these four potentates, how many other forces of all descriptions are everlastingly at war? In bygone times, there was a house which was full of cats and dogs who lived together like amicable cousins. For this reason, their master had made a hundred irrevocable laws and rules. 
settling their respective tasks, their meals, and every other incident of their lives, and at the same time he threatened with the whip the first one who should promote a quarrel. And kindly, almost brotherly nature of this union was very edifying to the neighbors. But at last, the concord ceased. Some little favoritism and the bestowal of a bone or a dish of food caused the outraged remainder to raise furious protests. I have heard some chroniclers attribute the discord uh, to an affair of love and jealousy. At any rate, whatever the origin, the altercation speedily fired both hall and kitchen and divided the company into partisans for this cat or that dog. A new rule was made, which exasperated the cats, and their complaints deafened the whole neighborhood. Their advocate advised returning absolutely to the old rules and decrees. The law books were searched for, but could nowhere be found. And that was no wonder, for the books, which had been hidden in a corner by one set of partisans at first, had been at last devoured by the mice. This gave rise to another lawsuit, which the mice lost and had to pay for. Many old cats, cunning, subtle, and sharp, and bearing a grudge against the whole race of mice beside, lay in wait for them, caught them, and cleared them out of the house, much to the advantage of the master of the establishment. So, returning to my moral, one cannot find under heaven any animal, any being, any creature, who has not his opponent. This appears to be a law of nature. It would be time wasted to seek for a reason. God does well whatever he does. Beyond that, I know nothing. But I do know that people come to high words over nothing three times out of four. Ah, ye human folk, exclamation point. Even at the age of 60, you ought to be sent back to the schoolmaster. I honestly have no idea what that story was about. take a little break and read The Man from Skibberdeen Skibberdeen a novel by Louis L'Amour uh 256 pages apparently it's due out June 1st 1983 and this is not eligible for the uh, reader rewards program so that's what you get for waiting all the way until June 1983 um, I'm a big fan of the Louis L'Amour stuff since a friend of mine turned me on to it. He found these audiobooks while he was traveling, I think like on a road trip, and he found these CDs at a gas station or a truck stop. And they were pretty cheesy because they had actors doing all the lines from the book. And um, it was pretty funny. So I kind of wish I could read these, but I can't because they're not public domain. They're still reissuing them for crying out loud. But let's learn more about the man from Skibberine. Crispin Mayo was a reckless young brawler who'd left his tiny fishing village for the vast American frontier. Headed west to join a railroad construction crew, he came upon an isolated station and a mystery. The shack was abandoned, but fresh blood spattered the floor and the telegraph was clicking away unattended. When Mayo stepped inside and put a hand on the telegraph key, he had no way of knowing the course of his life would change forever. 
and that he would become entangled with a band of Civil War veterans with a score to settle against the government and a feisty young woman who'd risk anything to save the people she loved. Chris Mayo, who had never backed away from a fight in his life, was about to have his courage put to the ultimate test. So there you go. In June 1st, 1983, look forward to getting your copy of The Man from Skibbereen by Louis L'Amour. And on to the second story that I read for the Cultured Bumpkin, uh, one that he had picked out for me to read, called My Financial Career by Stephen Leacock. My Financial Career by Stephen Leacock When I go into a bank, I get rattled. The clerks rattle me, the wickets rattle me, the sight of money rattles me, everything rattles me. The moment I cross the threshold of a bank and attempt to transact business there, I become an irresponsible idiot. I knew this beforehand, but my salary had been raised to $50 a month, and I felt that the bank was the only place for it. So I shambled in and looked timidly around at the clerks. I had an idea that a person about to open an account must needs consult the manager. I went up to a wicket, marked accountant. The accountant was tall, cool devil. The very sight of him rattled me. My voice was sceptral. Sepsural. We're looking that up. Sepulchral. My voice was sepulchral. Can I see the manager, I asked, and added solemnly, alone. I don't know why I said alone. Certainly, said the accountant, and fetched him. The manager was a grave, calm man. I held my $56 clutched in a crumpled ball in my pocket. Are you the manager? I asked. God knows I didn't doubt it. Yes, he said. Can I see you? I asked. Alone? I didn't want to say alone again, but without it, the thing seemed self-evident. The manager looked at me in some alarm. He felt that I had an awful secret to reveal. Come in here, he said, and led the way to a private room. He turned the key in the lock. We are safe from interruption here, he said. Sit down. We both sat down and looked at each other. I found no voice to speak. You are one of Pinkerton's men, I presume, he said. He had gathered from my mysterious manner that I was a detective. I knew what he was thinking, and it made me worse. No, not from Pinkerton's. I said, seeming to imply that I came from a rival agency. To tell the truth, I went on as if I had been prompted to lie about it. I am not a detective at all. I have come to open an account. I intend to keep all my money in this bank. The manager looked relieved, but still serious. He concluded now that I was a son of a Baron Rothschild or a young Gould. A large account, I suppose, he said. Fairly large, I whispered. I propose to deposit $56 now and $50 a month regularly. The manager got up and opened the door. He called to the accountant. Mr. Montgomery, he said unkindly loud, this gentleman is opening an account. He will deposit $56. Good morning. I rose. 
A big iron door stood open at the side of the room. Good morning, I said, and stepped into the safe. Come out, said the manager coldly, and showed me the other way. I went up to the accountant's wicket and poked the ball of money at him with a quick convulsive movement, as if I were doing a conjuring trick. My face was ghastly pale. Here, I said, deposit it. The tone of the words seemed to mean, let us do this painful thing while the fit is on us. He took the money and gave it to another clerk. He made me write the sum on a slip and sign my name in a book. I no longer knew what I was doing. The bank swam before my eyes. Is it deposited? I asked in a hollow, vibrating voice. It is, said the accountant. Then I want to draw a check. My idea was to draw out six dollars of it for present use. Someone gave me a checkbook through the wicket, and someone else began telling me how to write it out. The people on the bank had the impression that I was an invalid millionaire. I wrote something on the check and thrust it at the clerk. He looked at it. What? Are you drawing it all out again? He asked in surprise. Then I realized that I had written 56 instead of 6. I was too far gone to reason now. I had the feeling that it was impossible to explain the thing. All the clerks had stopped writing to look at me. Reckless with misery, I made a plunge. Yes, the whole thing. You withdraw your money from the bank? Every cent of it. Are you not going to deposit any more? Said the clerk, astonished. Never. An idiot hope struck me that they might think something had insulted me while I was writing the check, and that I had changed my mind. I made a wretched attempt to look like a man with a fearfully quick temper. The clerk prepared to pay the money. How will you have it? He said. What? How will you have it? Oh, I caught his meaning and answered without even trying to think in fifties. He gave me a fifty-dollar bill. And the six? He asked dryly. In sixes, I said. He gave it to me and I rushed out. As the big door swung behind me, I caught the echo of a roar of laughter that went up to the ceiling of the bank. Since then, I bank no more. I keep my money in cash in my trouser pocket and my savings in silver dollars in a sock. The end. And there you go. I hope you enjoyed both little adorable short stories. Um, I'm gonna have to get off my lazy butt and, uh, start reading something else which I'm thinking still is going to be the picture of Dorian Gray and maybe if I can drag that out long enough you'll get closer to October where I can either read The House of the Vampire or The Ghost so or The House of Seven Gables I haven't decided yet but you can look forward to that hopefully in the next one thanks for listening oh and be sure to uh uh like the show or leave a comment and then you can tell your friends about it because it's so appealing that a lot of your friends would be dying to listen to something like this so make sure to tell everyone bye